bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and what a great show we have today, because today it's all about youth. And you know that's very important to all of us, because without young people, we have no future. Without young people, we have no followers. Without young people, we wouldn't all be here today. And today, I'm excited to have a leader, a youth leader on the show, and you know it is Yoshiko Dart, who emphasizes to me over and over again how important young people are in leadership roles in the disability community. And Ms. Rebecca Hare is an outstanding and passionate leader in the disability community, and I am absolutely delighted to have her as a guest on our show today. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joyce. And maybe, Rebecca, for our listeners, you could tell them a little bit about yourself and what made you decide to become not just a leader but an advocate for people with disabilities. Um, I think one of the first things I'd really like to say is uh, this: the disability movement itself was built by youth. Ed Roberts was 24 when he founded the Rolling Quads at UC Berkeley. Judy Human was 22 when she founded Disabled in, Je- in Action. And Justin Dart was in his 20s when he started the first pro-integration group at the University of Houston. So I don't really even think it's so much about being a youth leader as much as it's being a new leader in the disability community. Um, for me, growing up, my godmother was very active in the disability rights movement um, out at CIL in Berkeley. And uh, my mother was a disabled student services coordinator at a local community college. So I grew up with a background both in terms of the importance of education for young people with disabilities um, as well as activism and advocating for people with disabilities. Um, so I remember going to uh, rallies at Dredef and things like that when I was really young, riding on the back of my godmother's wheelchair through the streets of Berkeley to go hear Ed Roberts speak or to hear Pat Wright speak. Wow. Um, so, you know, I've kind of been a from-the-womb-to-the-tomb sort of advocate. And it's always been, I think, you know, really important for me to have had advocates in my life um, provided me with exposure to, to people like Ed Roberts. Um, I actually went to the same high school that Ed Roberts attended, but my high school never spoke about it. Uh, we had a picture of him in our career center, but when I asked the career center coordinator who he was, uh, she had no idea who he had been. And so I think one of the, that was really one of the, the key moments for me growing up as an advocate was saying, wait a minute, you know, I know who this person is, and I think everyone in the school needs to know how important he is. Um, but yet we're not celebrating his life or the legacy that he's left in our community. You know what? That one story you just told, Rebecca, first of all, wow, what, what a fabulous experience. You know, your, your background, no wonder you're so on fire and passionate with, with you know, with that wonderful uh, experiences you had in California. But you know that one story you told about they didn't know who Ed Roberts was? I had, young, I had interns in my office all summer at Bender Consulting Services, 
and they were wonderful. And what we did is some had disabilities, some did not, but we always have interns with disabilities in our office, as we do right now as I'm speaking. But we had this year included a few CEOs, like one of them, their sons, and a judge in Pittsburgh, you know, her daughter, although she did have a disability. But you know what amazed me is we went around the room and I said, what surprised you or what did you learn the most? And several of them, and from very prominent colleges and universities, said, well, you know what? The whole time I was in school, no one ever talked about any of these people. I never heard of Justin Dart. You know, they never really talked about the Americans with Disabilities Act. And, you know, that, that really, I guess I just never thought about it before. But, you know, if that's the way it is, no wonder people don't want to hire people with disabilities. They don't even understand anything about the disability community. Do you know what I mean, Rebecca? Exactly. I think, you know, one of the things that I find in talking to young people around the country and doing the trainings that we've been doing, especially around um, getting laws passed around Disability History Month, is when I communicate to young people that, you know, one out of every four people has a disability or will experience disability at some point in their life. So while they're sitting in class, you know, in a mainstream classroom, sitting around, you know, 30 peers that they don't think has disabilities, there's easily seven or eight of those people in there who either A, have a disability that hasn't been diagnosed, or B, will experience disability at some point in their lifetime. And for, for these students with disabilities to see that and say, wait a minute, so I'm really not the only one, why aren't we teaching this? Why aren't we learning about this? You know, it, it, I find it's really empowering for them to learn about that and say, you know, we do have a right to learn about our history. We do have a right to connect to our community. We do have a right to own and, and celebrate our culture, and yet we're not teaching that at the very, you know, at the very fundamental school level. Yeah, that is, that is true. And, Rebecca, in your opinion, we have talked about this, I have to tell you first, on other, other shows. But I have to ask you, do you believe we have enough young people moving into leadership roles in the disability community? I don't think we have enough leaders in general. Um, I would, you know, Justin always spoke about needing a revolutionary, needing a revolution of empowerment. But I don't think everyone in the disability community is empowered yet, whether it's young, whether it's old, whether it's people with cognitive disabilities, people with learning disabilities. I think until everybody gets to that point, where they feel that they actually have a seat at the table of what we like to call the disability community, we're not going to get to where we really need to be, you know. And I think I think it's really easy to say, oh, you know, it's just all about in including youth and about giving youth a seat. But if youth aren't adequately prepared, you know, or if youth are, you know, such as Peter, Peter Squire, Betsy Valnes, and myself approaching 30 and still being referred to or, you know, considered as youth leaders, um, you know, when our history is of young people being leaders without us necessarily dividing them off and saying, oh, you're a youth leader, um, you know, I don't think we are ready to go the next step. I don't think the revolution's here yet. I think, you know, we need to be much more inclusive in, in our approach as well as in our language. And, and what do you think we need to do, Rebecca, to have that revolution occur? I think, you know, we keep preaching to the the non-disabled community about the importance of inclusion, but we're not inclusive ourselves as a community. You know, I think until we get to the point where, you know, young people with cognitive disabilities feel as welcome at conferences as young people, you know, using wheelchairs as young people who are deaf and everyone has a chance to learn from each other and communicate with each other, we're not going to get to that point yet. 
Well, I have to agree with Rebecca. I feel we do have a long way to go because every time I speak to anyone older in the disability community about youth leaders, the two names that always come up are Rebecca Hare and Peter Squire. Mm-hmm. Now, in the meantime, they're young adults. So now they're going to be the ones training the youth. I mean, I think it's still great to be involved. I myself like to be involved training youth, you know, high school students with disabilities, young people just going into college. But the inclusion also includes respect. Mm-hmm. Part of inclusion is respect. You know, one thing I really admire about Tony Quello, and I think this is so great he's doing this, ever since Tony became the chairman of the board of the Epilepsy Foundation, he insisted that there be more youth, young people from college age, et cetera, on the board of directors. Because mm-hmm. how the heck are we going to know how young people with disabilities feel if they're not at the table versus just saying, oh, let's have a little camp and include young people. And now he has impacted this so much, he has all the offices in the United States doing the same thing. Definitely. But you, but you know, to include someone, you also have to respect them and respect them means not treating them as a child. But as Rebecca also said, including all people with all types of disabilities at the table and not being so territorial as so many of us in the disability community sometimes become. So, Rebecca, what do you believe in your years now that you're a young adult? What do you see as the biggest obstacle for young people in getting their voice out to the disability community and, as I just said, not only being heard but being respected? I think one of the biggest pieces is getting that credibility. Um, You know, we have young leaders right now in roughly 10 different states that are pushing to have laws put in place so that all students with and without disabilities in K-12 public schools will learn about the history of the disability rights movement. We'll get a background in, you know, understanding what the the disability experience and creating not even an awareness or even a sensitivity, because I don't think those are the right words anymore, but I think a level of, a baseline level of competence around disability, you know, and they're making this happen, and it's happening in less than a year, but yet when these young people transition out of the silo we call the youth movement into the mainstream disability rights movement, they're not given a seat at the table. Oh, that's nice what you guys did, you know, back, you know, in your, in your small town or in your state, but now you're at the big kids table and you need to kind of start out all over again. You know, folks like Betsy Balnes, who is the executive director for the National Youth Leadership Network. You know, folks like Peter Squire, who's done a tremendous amount of work. Folks like, you know, Marissa Johnson and Sarah Triano, some of the people you know, such as Jennifer Jones and Goyo Stinchfield, who were our pioneers within, you know, our generation of leaders, have had a really difficult time transitioning to the next step. You know, and I think the credibility piece is part of that. I've been asked to come in and do trainings and have been treated like a five-year-old by people that I've been taught my entire life to respect and to look up to. And so I think, you know, how how we how we treat each other is a big piece of that, Um you know, I, I think one of the, the most special moments of my life was at the Nickel Rally this last summer. I spoke after Andy Imperato. And, you know, I've known Andy since I was about 19, so, you know, almost 10 years now. And it was, you know, and Andy's like, you know, good luck. Go out there and knock him dead. And I remember saying, you know, gosh, 
it went from before, you know, Andy opening doors for me to I'm speaking after him. You know, and I think moments like that and providing, not being a gatekeeper. We talk so much about the importance of gatekeepers. We need people to be door openers. Mm, yes. Not instead of being gate screeners. Exactly. I call them gate screeners. And by the way, if you'd hear Rebecca Hare speak as you are right now, you would have her as your keynote speaker at every conference. We're going to break right now and we'll be right back. You're listening to Rebecca Hare. Project Coordinator for NCID, Youth Institute for Educational Leadership. This is America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Hosting Commander in Change, Empowerment Coach, and International Speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to our show. And we are talking to a leader in the disability community about youth in leadership, and that is Rebecca Hare. Project Coordinator for NCID, Youth Institute for Educational Leadership. And, Rebecca, as you and I were just talking before we went to break, you know, there are unfortunately obstacles for young people with disabilities where even after they've achieved greatness, really greatness, sometimes it's still, okay, you've done that now, what, what, let's, let's wait till you learn the rest, let's start all over again. 
And one of the people you mentioned that I think has really embraced young young people with disabilities is Andy Imperato. Oh, definitely. We like to say that Andy Imperato operates on a five-foot rule where if you're within five feet of him at any point in time, you'll meet everyone you need to meet in a given room. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, you know, we, Peter Squire and Marissa Johnson and myself have actually used that term for about five or six years now. Yeah, and we, tease, we tease Andy a lot about it. Yeah, but that's true. That, that is true. And that it is a, true, and it's important. You know, I think one of the other things that I think is really important for for young people is to understand that to be a leader in the disability community, we don't... It doesn't mean you just have to work in the quote-unquote disability field. When I started out um, working, actually, my first job or my first serious job was I was a manager for Victoria's Secret, and I spent about five years working with them. And every time I would come to disability conferences, people would be like, oh, so when are you going to start working in the disability field? And I said, you know, I'm managing seven stores right now. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, I have over 2,000 employees. That means I'm impacting 2,000 people's perceptions about disability on a daily basis. You know, to be a leader in the disability community, you need to be successful at whatever it is you want to do. You don't have to necessarily work at a Center for Independent Living or work at a one-stop. And those are great places to work where you can directly impact people with disabilities. But, you know, if you want to be a chef, go out there and be the best dang chef on the face of the planet. Go out there and get a show on the Food Network. You know, go out there so that, you know, you're you're succeeding and exposing a positive portrayal of disability to how many thousands of millions of people on a daily basis. Oh, amen to that. And I'll tell you what, if you're listening to this, what she's saying right now is so true because guess what? If there aren't people out there in the disability community who are CEOs, COOs, chefs, whatever they are, making money, then we're not going to be able to help other people. And exactly. This is what happened to me when I first started Bender Consulting Services, and I was on a radio show as a guest right after, not long after I won the President's Award at the White House. And I was on the show, and the first thing the person said to me is, "Now, being that you employ people with disabilities, may I ask you a question? Why are you a for-profit company?" And my answer was, "All right, now if I employed non-disabled people, would you have asked me that?" He said, "No." I said, "That's the reason." And exactly. the same thing applies here to what Rebecca is saying. You know, we have three things that happen, unemployed, underemployed, or employed in the industry. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who it is. When you have a disability, first thing they'll say is, hey, why don't you go work at that nickel group or down there at the Epilepsy Foundation or over here? Hey, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's good. We want, you know, we want people to be passionate and that's advocates. However, if Rebecca would be the CEO of a company, think how many people with disabilities would get hired. Oh, definitely. Not to mention changing the way people think. And it's, a, it's that high expectations piece. I think a lot of times, you know, we talk about the, the non-disabled community having low expectations for us, but our biggest problem is that we've internalized those expectations. You know, and so we, you know, I talk to young people and they're like, oh, I could never do that. You know, there's a young woman on my project who wants to be an Egyptologist. And, you know, I've had several frustrating conversations with, with people in her life that call me up and say, you know, so-and-so can't be an Egyptologist. She's never going to get a Ph.D. And oh. my response to that is you don't need to have a Ph.D. to be an Egyptologist. You have to just love what you're doing. 
You know, and I think so many times, you know, we as a community have sort of internalized a lot of these expectations. You know, and have internalized a life where people with disabilities to be employed, they have to do one of the six Fs, whether it's food, filth, filing, flowers, fetching, or folding. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to get beyond that. We need to break through that as a community and say, you know what, that's not what we want to do. We need to have young, we need to have people with disabilities excelling in whatever it is they want to excel in. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'll never forget when I first started the company years ago and I spoke at this event and I said, you know, quit telling me what a good person I am. Hire someone. That's where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. You hire someone. So the next day someone called me and said, listen, you really impacted our our boss, he really wants to do something. I said, oh, that's great. They said, now, do you have anyone that could be the assistant service cleaner? I said, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? And bottom line was this was cleaning restrooms. Mm-hmm. And my answer was, this is so terrible, you can't even be the main service cleaner. You have to be the assistant service cleaner. Exactly. And there, you know, there isn't anything wrong with maintenance or being a janitor. There, no. You know, whether you're disabled or non-disabled, we all have different fields we go into. But what is wrong is when you think all people with disabilities can only do that. Well, that. and when you don't have that informed choice piece on top of that. You know, we talk about self-determination. We talk about self-advocacy. But if there isn't that informed choice piece, you know, people think that that's all that there is for them. Yeah, and if you're listening to our show today, you're listening to Rebecca Hare, who is the project coordinator for NCID, the Youth Institute for Educational Leadership. And I would encourage you, if you are someone that puts together conferences and conventions, to get in touch with Rebecca and have her as your speaker at the event. You know, it's not that all of us who have spoken forever don't want to keep speaking. We do, but you know what? need to hear the voice of young leaders. Another person is Peter Squire, who uh, Rebecca and I were talking about at break. If our youth do not see people who are young adults say, hey, only a few years ago or not that long ago, I was like you going through whatever, then they don't have any, they don't have a role model. You need a role model. You need someone you can look up to. And I've got to tell you, you can hear how passionate Rebecca is. I heard her speak at NCD, and she has the fire going on, no doubt about it. That's what I like. She has the fire going on. I guess you got that fire from your godmother and your family. Definitely. That's part of it, you know, and I think um, I think mentors really play a critical role. I'd say, you know. Yeah, let's talk I'm... about that. How important do you think that is to have a mentor to be able to move forward? I think one mentor is an important. I think multiple mentors is necessary. Um, you know, when I talk to young people, I say, you know, I hearken back to, to comic books and TV shows. You know, I talk about Batman and say how Batman has a utility belt. And, you know, he wouldn't necessarily use his ice pick if he's scuba diving. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have different mentors for different things. You need to have a mentor you call when your boss is driving you nuts. You need to have a mentor you call to talk about sex and dating. You need to have another mentor... You call when it comes to, you know, writing a paper and you're struggling through it. You know, I know for myself, mentors, you know, like Curtis Richards and, and Paul Miller, you know, Marie Strahan, you know, Yoshiko Dart, Pat Morrissey, a lot of these people were, have all fulfilled critical roles in my life. 
over the years. You know, folks in government, folks like Richard Horn and Rhonda Basha at the Office of Disability Employment Policy that have really pushed the youth agenda inside the federal government, you know, that were always there. I mean, our project itself, the Nas- we're actually NCLD, the National Consortium on Leadership and Disability for Youth, is one of 15 youth-led resource information and training centers funded by the Administration on Developmental Disabilities. But back in 1999, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, Richard Horn from ODEP and I were sitting here hammering out the policy agenda for the National Youth Leadership Network when we came up with the idea of the Youth Information Centers. So having people that will sit there with you and walk you through how to write a future, future directions agenda or, you know, how to, how to gear up before you're going to go present before the American uh, Youth Policy Forum and things like that. You know, having folks that will sit there with you both through the really, both, you know, patting you on the back during the, during the times you do well, but also kicking you in the butt when you're not living up to your expectations is important. That's right. And, you know, I agree with Rebecca because it's no different when you're in anything in life. For example, in business. Yes, it's great to have that one mentor that's someone that's really had an impact on you. And I am very fortunate that Tony Quello is my men- is is that main mentor for me. However, I have other mentors. You know, I have mentors in the business world only. Or, or just as Rebecca said, you have mentors in different parts of your life, just as you have different types of friends. You know, you need to network. You need to build a strong network, you need to be known, you need to be visible. If I don't know who you are, if I've never met you, obviously I'm not going to hire you. Speaking of leaders and mentors, what do you have to say? I'm going to skip ahead here. I was going to ask you about this later, but I'm going to ask you now, Rebecca, can you talk for a few minutes before we have to go to break about Yoshiko Dart and her impact on youth oh. with disabilities? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I saw this question, and I and I had to smile, and it was actually kind of funny. I actually got off the phone with Mrs. Dart about an hour and a half ago. Um, she has continued, you know, from the first time I met her and Justin at the, two, uh, actually, it was at the 2000 National Youth Leadership Network Conference. Uh, she and Justin came in, and Justin spoke briefly, and he gave a $5 bill he and Yoshiko gave a $5 bill to every young leader in the room, and there was about 100 of us, Peter Squire, Betsy Valnez, um, Marissa Johnson, myself, Jennifer Jones, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of our, gener- our class of leaders, as Yoshiko likes to refer to us. She calls us the senior class. Um, and they gave us each a $5 bill, and it says, you know, we love you, lead on, um, you know, love always, Yoshiko and Justin Dart. And they told us that that was their investment in us as the next generation of leaders in the disability community. Not the next generation of youth leaders and not youth leaders in general, but the next generation of leaders. And, you know, and all of us, it's very interesting whenever I I have a chance to meet up with my my companions on this trek we're all on, um, you know, we always talk about how each of us still has that $5 bill and everyone has it in a different place and how that $5 bill keeps us honest and that $5 bill reminds us of what we're here to do. And, you know, if I could, I think the biggest thing I've learned from Yoshiko is the importance to make that investment, whether it's time, whether it's, you know, making a phone call, whether it's sitting down or staying a little later one night at a conference to sit and talk to the next generation of leaders. 
you know, that investment is critical to the future of our community and to the future of our movement. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we come back from break. So right now you're listening to a dynamo and a real leader in this country for Americans with Disabilities, Rebecca Hare. We're going to break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show, and what a great show this is today, because we have Miss Rebecca Hare a new and great leader in this country, the project coordinator for NCID Youth Institute for Educational Leadership. And I think we have a caller on the line. Jamie, are you on the line? Hello? Is she there? Caller on the line? Okay, well, Ruben, you'll have to find our caller. But until the caller gets back on the line, I wanted to go back for a moment, if you don't mind, Rebecca, to Yoshiko. Certainly. Yes. You know why I brought her up? This woman forever has been emphasizing to me how important youth are. You know, in other words, when don't get me wrong, she loves Andy Imperato, and she thinks so highly of Tony Quello and Judy Human and, you know, all the... Pat, Patricia Wright, all the great leaders that we have. But 
when she talks to me, she always wants to talk to me about these people are all great, but do you know these people? Yeah. What do you call them? You know, the senior class? And every yeah. time I see her, like even at the AAPD gala, she always has, you know, young younger people at her table or, or the mm-hmm. senior class you're referring to. And it is always so impressive to me. She's always think, like that, isn't she? I think, you know, one of the things that Yoshiko does that makes her just so incredible and, you know, so much my hero is um, she takes a leadership first kind of approach. You know how we in the disability community we talk about using people first language? Mm-hmm. You know, Yoshiko takes a leadership first approach. You know, she looks at people as leaders, not as so-and-so is the leader of the, de- of the you know, developmental disabilities community or so-and-so is the leader of the deaf community. You know, this person is a leader, and, you know, she makes that time. She takes that time. She, she makes that investment in them. You know, and the other thing I think she does that's just amazing is, you know, Andy Imperato uses a metaphor pretty frequently. Um, he says instead of talking about, you, you know, passing the torch, we've talked about passing the torch for too long. We need to start talking about people that use their torch to light the torch for others. Yes. And, you know, Yoshiko is my constant torch lighter. I must, you know, I must get a letter from her roughly once every two months, and it usually comes on one of those days where, you know, I don't think anything else could go more wrong or, you know, I've seen how a bill got knocked down in the legislature or something else frustrating has happened, and I get this letter from her, and it just says, you know, Rebecca, I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, Justin loves you. Thank you for doing all that you do. You know, lead on no matter what. And, you know, I joke that nobody can get me from zero to tears in two seconds like Mrs. Dart can. And yes, she and just no can, one can get me fired up like Yoshiko Dart. Can. She is, yeah, she is a consummate. I mean, she is a consummate beacon in all this work that we do. She is. Okay, I think we have our caller on the line now. Jamie, do we have you on the line? Yes, Joyce, are you there? Yes, and I bet when you're hearing us talk about Yoshiko, you're there agreeing with your How head. Are you, up and down. I, you, you could not be more correct. I'm sitting here as I'm listening to what Becca is saying, just nodding away. Yoshiko signs every single email that she sends to me, Jamie Power, Bender Power, I love you. You know, so this woman is a fireball of energy that kind of keeps us all going. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yes. yes, what do you call that? A torch what? She's a torch lighter. Yes, a torch, torch lighter. lighter. Yeah, she is a torch lighter. Well, Jamie, it's nice to hear you for the first time ever on Disability Matters. I am so excited about calling in today because we just have a fantastic guest. Yes, we do. Uh, Becca, in addition to being one of my closest friend, is an outstanding young leader in the disability community. Um, Becca, I just wanted to call in myself and thank you so much for everything that you do to advance our movement and sort of educate and train our next generation of advocates. So um, my question kind of goes along with what you were um, talking about sort of readying for the next generation and talking about uh, passing the torch for too long. I think what what our audience would benefit from hearing, Becca, from you, we've had a lot of conversations, you and I, about uh, the importance of mentoring for youth with disabilities. And I think they would benefit from hearing why you think mentoring is so important, particularly for youth with disabilities, and how our audience might be able to become more involved in that process. Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I really think... I think mentoring is such an important thing, and I think, 
you know, the commit, I think one of the most important things and one of the most interesting things about mentoring is we've actually developed a, a mentoring guide um, at our workforce center at the Institute for Educational Leadership. It's called the National Collaborative on Workforce and Disability for Youth. And when we were developing this guide, we worked on it with both mentors and mentees. And one of the big struggles we had was developing a definition around mentoring. Um, all the older folks that were involved as mentors really pushed the idea of mentoring as an activity. And all the younger folks that had been serving as mentees really pushed for the importance of the relationship piece. So I think, you know, when we talk about mentoring, it, it's both things. And, you know, I think for mentors, they need to understand that a lot of the time the mentees think about the importance of it as coming from the relationship aspect. And the mentees need to understand that for mentors, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of the activity, you know. Um, I think mentoring, you know, I think mentors are great door openers, you know, not serving as gatekeepers, not serving as, you know, I might open this, you know, I might open the gate to let you into this opportunity, but let me open the door and show you how it's done. Let me open the door and introduce you to the right people. Let me use the Andy and Parado five-foot rule. Or let me use, you know, Curtis Richards taught me that the two most important places to stand in the disability community event are by the front door and also by the bar. So that way you can grab people when they have moments to talk, either right as they first come in the door or when they're taking a moment to grab a soda or something like that. And I think those are, you know, those are really kind of important lessons that I wouldn't have learned otherwise, mm-hmm. you know. Um, also, you know, finding out, Finding out, you know, who are the rabble rousers? You know, who are the, who are, you know, who's the Bob Kafka? Who's the Daniel Davis? Who are, you know, and, and making time to sit down with the next generation of young leaders. Folks like, folks who really are the, the next generation of youth in our community. Folks like Stacey Milburn down in North Carolina. You know, Candace Clark and Eric Pugh up in West Virginia. Carly Fahey and Alex Brown and, and J.T. Davis down in Florida. You know, Matt Cavadon up in uh, Connecticut. Who are the next Jeff Rosens that are going to be standing on the flagpole at Gallia Debt? You know, I think mentoring is a real key piece of that. You know, Jamie, you and I are at the age now where we're starting to really serve as mentors. Right. And, you know, the importance also of peer mentors. You know, when I moved to Washington, D.C., I had been raised, born and raised in California, and, you know, my friend Rachel took me around and pretty much introduced me to everyone involved in the disability community under the age of 40. Because when I moved to D.C., all my friends were over the age of 40. You know, and we've actually started up a very successful listserv called the Hidden Army Listserv for young leaders working in the disability community in the D.C. metro area. Right. You know, and that, that opportunity for peer mentors. Exactly you know, I think, correct. You know, opportunities like getting involved in Disability Mentoring Day. I don't see why any, any of the callers on this, on this, you know, or any of the listeners to this show today shouldn't be involved in Disability Mentoring Day. Less than 3% of young people with disabilities are actively engaged in programs that support mentoring, like Boys and Girls Clubs and Scouting and 4-H and those sorts of programs. That's less than, that's, that's less than three out of every hundred. That's, you know, that's a pathetic statistic. You know, we wonder why the, the unemployment rate is so high and the poverty rate is so high, yet we're not, you know, taking time to really expose young leaders or all young people with disabilities. You know, all young people with disabilities are leaders as far as I'm concerned. They're out there. They're living the dream of the ADA and IDEA. But yet if we're not exposing them to successful people with and without disabilities and people with the same and with different disabilities and they have then we're not continuing that investment that Justin and Yoshiko fought so hard for and talked so often and, you know, have talked so often about. Right, right. And 
Becca, I just want to commend you because I think you're the perfect example of what it means to speak out and speak up. You know, it takes a lot of guts to know what the answer is, but then to also express that to other people. So thank you very I, I, much. Let me just say, I have no idea what the answer is, and I think the most important thing about mentors and mentoring in general is you don't want a mentor to give you the answer. Right. That's so easy. You know, it's like getting a prize out of a cereal box. It takes a little bit more work than that. You know, you need, I think, a good mentor is someone who continually peppers you with questions and, you know, points you in different directions so you are forced to find the answer yourself because that's where the learning takes place. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, Rebecca, in all the years I've been here, this is the first time Jamie has actually called in on the show. Oh, Jamie, you're my mentor. You're my hero. Well, yeah, well Jamie um, is, for those of you listening to the show, she is an account manager for Bender Consulting Services in Washington, D.C., working on site at Computer Sciences Corporation. But more importantly, Jamie is a leader at the executive level in Bender Consulting Services. Oh, stop. Go on. You are, and we're <laughs> proud to have you with us. Jamie, thank you for calling well, in. Please enjoy the rest of your conversation, Becca, with my mentor, Joyce Bender. Thank you. Hey, Jamie, we, we could open up a business, Rent-A-Mentor. You know, there we go. I think so. Joyce, there's an, maybe op- there's an entrepreneurship that. activity for us. That, you came up with a business idea right on the show. How do you like exactly. that? Exactly. That's what I like. Right. You know what? I want to just say one other thing, and you know what? I'm so lucky. I am so blessed to have Jamie Watts in this company. She is fantastic. And when we come back, I have one other comment I wanted to make about what Rebecca was saying. But we have to go to break for a minute, and then we'll be right back with Rebecca Hare speaking out as a leader of people with disabilities in this country. And you're listening to Joyce Bender on Disability Matters. We'll be right back. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcasts each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. 
control your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists, and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. And what a show we've had today. We've been talking to Rebecca Hare, the project coordinator from the Youth Institute for Educational Leadership and really a dynamo in this area of leadership for young adults with disabilities, really for any leader of any age with a disability. I think we have a caller on the line. Hello, Diana? yes, I have a question for Rebecca Hare. Yes. Um, my question is um, I wanted to know what she thinks is the most important thing to know about the transition process from school to work or higher education for youth with disabilities. Oh, that is a great question. What is the most? Oh, gosh. That's... Diana, you get me every time. <laughs> must be that redhead thing. I, um, I would say one of the most important things is we do a lot of what we call PIMPA youth leadership development. We do a lot of, you know, exposing young people to opportunities but not making sure they're getting the content they need. You know, it's all well and good to give a young person the opportunity to sit on a board. Let's say let's say it's a board for uh, an education subcommittee of an organization. But if they know nothing about IDEA and aren't fully prepared in order to be fully engaged in the process, we're really kind of setting them up for failure. Mm. So I think really how we adequately prepare young people, you know, both in terms of knowing what their needs are as well as understanding their disability-related needs as well as understanding their rights and their responsibilities. You know, we talk and we harp on young people about, oh, you need to understand your rights under IDEA and ID, you know, under ADA and IDEA, but we don't talk about, but these are your responsibilities. You know, yes, you have, you know, when you're in, in high school, you have the right, you know, if you're a young person, um, with a disability, you have the right to these accommodations. But when you're in college, you're responsible to request those accommodations. So you know? being advocates for themselves. Yeah, you know, and being being informed advocates, mm-hmm. informed and prepared advocates. You know, I think a lot of times I've walked into you know walked into conferences and seen young people get up and speak, and you know, you get the idea that they've had no mentoring. You get the idea that they've had nobody that sat there and said, okay, you know, this is the kind of questions you're going to be asked, or okay, this is the kind of situation this is, you know, how can we help you process this information? How can we sit down with you afterwards and sit down and debrief and say, okay, what went well, what didn't go so well? How can you prepare that better next time? You know, I think really, you know, um, the the youth development community um, largely has a term that says fully prepared is not fully engaged. 
And I think, you know, that that's another thing, you know. You need to really give that preparation and, you know, take that time and realize young people are an investment. And you need to put that time in them so, so they can fully participate, you know. I think... I think it's really, you know, the, I think communities, traditionally civil rights communities are always really hungry for new leadership but don't necessarily fully comprehend the amount of in-depth training and development that needs to go into that in order to prepare young people to get out there and lead. Mm. You know, we like to do a lot of IW leadership. Okay, welcome to a youth leadership conference, IW leader. You know, let me tap you on the head with a magic wand. Now go out and save our movement. And that's not fair to the young person. You know, we're setting them up for failure. So how we adequately train, you know, new advocates and, you know, completely train them and give them the competence that they need to go out and do what they need to do. So, you know, we're not continually saying, oh, look, young people can't do anything. When I had that young person come to my conference to speak, someone asked them a question and they crumbled on the spot. So advocating for themselves but also for other youth with disabilities. Definitely. And I just want to say, uh, Diana, that... You know, this the end of this year, we hope to have a new company started where we will have a software company that's web training for high school students with disabilities, and it's going to be called Paychecks Not Pity. And that whole thing that Rebecca's talking about, accountability, mm-hmm. preparation, raising the bar. Right, exactly. You know, it can't start when they graduate. Transition can't start then. Too late. Judy Human used to always say to me, remember, if you're trying to change the way someone thinks and they're and you're at, uh, you know, they're like in 11th grade, you're way too late. Well, I transition, transition starts like kindergarten. Along is That's really right. That is exactly right. That's when it begins. It really you know, bothers me when I hear people say, oh, well, you know, it's so wonderful. They, you know, they have this or that disability, but, and they're also employed. And I think, you know, it, that's how it should be. It shouldn't be the exception. It should be the rule. Oh, I know. I hate that. You're like, it's a special thing, a special award. Exactly. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the young people we work with always makes a statement that remind, you know, puts me back in check and reminds me that the kindergartners today are the employers 30 years from now. So if we're not changing perceptions of disability, Starting with that kindergarten class, 30 years from now, we're going to be facing the same obstacles and the same challenges we're complaining about today. That is it. You nailed it. Very true. That is it. Well, Diana, from the Department of Labor, right? That's correct. Thank you for calling in. Thank you so much. Thank you. But Rebecca, I'm telling you, this, this show just is going so fast today that I'm going to have to stop down here to make sure I get to ask you a few of the questions that I ask every guest that has ever been on the show. Um, okay. And, and one is, at such a young adult age, you have already accomplished so much. I mean, just hearing that story about when you were little, how you were on the wheelchair, back of the wheelchair, you know, going to the hear Ed Roberts and Pat Wright and going to those Dreadif rallies and, you know, wow, I'm thinking, you know, you are definitely not going to be one of those people that is not prepared when you speak somewhere. But you have accomplished so much in your life, skill-wise also. What, what, in your opinion, is your proudest accomplishment? You know, I thought and looked at and thought about this question for a long time, and I think one of the biggest things is we spend a lot of time talking about our accomplishments. We spend a lot of time as a community talking about, you know, getting the ADA passed and getting IDEA passed. We really need to focus on, you know, what's, what's really next. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, being from... Uh, a family of advocates and being raised in the movement, 
you know. And I'm also one of those people I kind of, one of my biggest faults is instant gratification. Once I get what I want, I move on to thinking about really what the next thing is. And I think we need to start thinking about, you know, what is, what, what do we want the legacy of the Americans with Disabilities Act to be? You know, 16 years ago, we have it passed. We're, you know, 16 years ahead in the future now. What do we want to see 16 years from now? You know, what do we want to see the shape of disability policy look like 20 years from now? You know, I think, um, you know, I'd like to talk, you know, instead of my proudest accomplishment necessarily, um, instead talk about things I want to see done in the future, I want to see a disability policy fellowship program to create a solid foundation of disability policy across systems for all future leaders with and without disabilities. You know, I want to see things like Wellstone camps set up for the next generation of leaders in the disability community being run by veteran leaders who've been there, who've worked in the trenches. You know, I want to see, I want to see everyone starting to make an investment in, in youth, as well as youth make an investment in our pioneers. You know, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned from folks like Yoshiko Dart and Curtis Richards and, and John Lancaster and Judy Human, you know, all those sorts of folks is they want to make an op- they want to make an impact. But a lot of times they need to be asked. So what, you know, how do you sit down with these folks and say, this is what I need from you? You know, I want to learn from you. I want to spend a day shadowing you. You know, when Bob Pasternak was, um, in the Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services, he would take young people with him for the day to all of his different meetings. And he'd say, oh, I have this meeting. It's so boring, but, you know, do you guys want to come check it out? And, you know, what opportunities like that really contribute a lot to where I am now today. But instead of sitting still and saying, oh, that was great, we need to say, okay, what do we want next? Why aren't folks in – why, you know, why isn't – uh, folks in every department on uh, disability in the federal government involved in Disability Mentoring Day. Why are we having great programs like AmeriCorps and VISTA completely blocked out for young people with disabilities because if you receive Social Security, you'll lose your benefits based off of that stipend? You know, what's our next steps? Where are we going now? You know, I think I, I can't sit and rest on my laurels. There's, you know, if there's anything that Yoshiko Darts taught me is that there's way more work to be done. Well, then she taught you a lot, if you learned that one thing. Uh, so, Rebecca, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Hmm. The biggest thing I would say is that the kindergart- kindergartners today will be the employers in 30 years. What kind of impact do you want to have on them? So 30 years from now, we're not facing a 60 to 70% unemployment rate. Well, I'll tell you what, Rebecca, it has been just so exciting to have you on the show today. Keep well, thank up you so much, Joyce. Keep up what you're doing because you're doing a lot. And, you know, at the end of every show, we always end with a quote from a famous civil rights leader or someone in the disability community and today it is so fitting to what Rebecca has talked about because it is from Tony Quello who said, remember one thing, every time you get an opportunity, take the podium. Every time you get an opportunity, speak up. That will make a difference. This is Joyce Bender. You've been listening to Disability Matters on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.